Welcome to the iMatter Podcast, future-proof your business, career, teams, and organization. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira. Today I'm speaking with Gary Ryan. Gary is the founding director of Organizations That Matter, which is a boutique management consulting firm. I've known Gary for a long time, and I know that what he does is he helps people move beyond being just being good. In other words, he helps people reduce the performance gap in the organizations, and he works with a range of organizations, including businesses, uh, government organizations, and particularly does a lot of work with universities. And with these organizations, he works with people at different levels, but particularly with building leadership. And uh, that's why I'm really interested in talking to Gary today, because today we're going to be talking about a concept which you may have heard of, which is servant leadership, but I'm really interested in hearing Gary's angle on it. So welcome, Gary. Hi, Gahan. So before we get into this this concept of servant leadership and your angle on it, tell me a little bit about how you got here, about organizations that matter, and, and particularly why you got interested in this whole idea of performance and leadership. Well, organizations that matter was created, just the name was because uh, my experience over time in some consulting that I was doing prior to starting the organization uh, highlighted that there was lots of organizations out there that have forgotten that they include human beings. Mm-hmm. So, Gihan, we decided that we wanted to create an organisation that recognised that human beings actually matter and organisations who recognise that people actually matter are clearly organisations that matter. So that's that's how that all started and, and really it was also focusing a lot on leadership and helping leaders to identify that, that gap and as it's turned out, we've tended to work with organisations that are already good at what they do and leaders that are good but it's exponentially more difficult to go from being good at something to being outstanding or excellent or great or whatever language you'd like to use versus going from being poor at something to good at something. And by the way, sometimes I work with those folk too who are poor and want to get to at least being good. But most of our work happens to be in that, that other space of helping people move beyond being good. That's exponentially more difficult. But it really is about that human element rather than the, the technical side of businesses, if, if you like. And it seems to me, Gary, that you're a little bit ahead of the curve, and you were when you started Organisations That Matter, because that's very much the flavour of business now. There are businesses who say that they care about their people, and leadership has changed, and you need organisations with purpose. But at the time that you started the business, we were probably not even at the start of that that start of a, that, that awareness that this is the right way to build an organisation. That's probably true, and um, you know it's been a slow journey, no doubt. There's there are more uh, enlightened organisations, uh, Gihan, but uh, at the same time, there's still lots of room for improvement. There's lots of work to be done, and lots of quality leaders who are struggling to actually have the impact that they they could have if they were actually allowed to be the leader that they wish to be. Okay, great. So let, let's look at leadership. And uh, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about servant leadership. And I remember many years ago, Gary, when I first became a manager for a small software company here in Perth, I used to read every management business leadership book I could find. Mm-hmm. And I came across this concept, Robert Greenleaf. Uh, I'm sure he'd published the book Servant Leadership at that time, although I know that he, he wrote about it a while ago, and uh, I'm showing my age here, but that was almost a generation ago, probably more than a generation ago, and you're still talking about it. So, so tell me a little bit about servant leadership and why it's so relevant today. Well, actually, the essay called The Servant as Leadership, as Leader, rather, The Servant as Leader by Robert K. Greenleaf, it's just a 28-page uh, essay, was first published four generations ago. And um, 
in in his initial version of that letter, he 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 actually uh, quoted uh, Hillary Clinton, who was just a student president at the time. <laughs> so, given her many decades long uh, involvement with politics and and leading uh, certainly the United States of America in, in various capacities um, for several decades now, it's not that he knew she was going to become Hillary Clinton, of course. Um, but his essay really was about highlighting. Um, the, the challenge that institutions and organisations had that had been based on his many, many years of working with um, management education and the gap that existed that he could see at the time. And fundamentally, that gap was born on the, 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 the fundamental view of the world that leaders are trained to have and then implement. And that view being the traditional hierarchical view of the world where leaders are at the top and everyone else is below them. Um, and he challenged that view of the world, uh, Robert K. Greenleaf, and suggested that really leaders are at the – we should turn that pyramid upside down. And if you think of a triangle turns upside down, so the pointy part is, is at the base and the, the very broad part or the base of the pyramid is actually at the top, that the leaders are actually at the base of that diagram, at the pointy part of the uh, pyramid. And their job is to serve the people above them to be the best that they can be in their role, whose job, again, is to serve the people above them and so on and so forth. The, the Robert K. Greenleaf view of the world was is, and, and it's relevant to say is, even though he passed um, quite some time ago, that ultimately we should never forget in any organisation, and this is relevant for for-profit organisations as much as it is for not-for-profit organisations, that the people who matter, matter the most are the ones whom we are ultimately serving. So whether they we call them customers, clients, whatever we call them, whether they be stakeholders or community members, depending on whether we're for-profit or uh, not-for-profit or whether a government agency, it really doesn't matter. They're the ones that matter, and, and the servant leadership view of the world never lets us forget who matters the most and that if it weren't for those people that our organisation is ultimately serving, then we wouldn't have a role to do in the first place. Whereas the traditional view of the world, where hierarchies are drawn with the you know the most senior people at the top, you, you don't even get to see where the ultimate customer exists in that hierarchy. It, it's not even mentioned. You see this, the fundamental difference between the two views of the world? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It seems like they're in the traditional organization. There are two hierarchies, aren't there? There's a organization chart, which is the management hierarchy. And then there might be that the customer funnel or the sales funnel, which looks at the customers, but they don't really connect. And as you say, there's no priority given to those customers or stakeholders who come in through that funnel. That's right. And look, we, we live in a world, Gihan, where you and I both know, because we work in this space, that performance matters. And, and some critics of servant leadership and and i'd suggest folk who probably haven't really ever gone and read the essay nor in fact really delved into what servant leadership is all about but they critique it nonetheless suggest that it's soft and, and it's not about performance well it's absolutely about performance because performance matters and i'll give you an example of i had the good fortune to be connected with jeff lamb who's the executive vice president uh, and also Chief of People and Administration Officer at Southwest Airlines. Now, Southwest Airlines has consistently won one of the top 100 employers to work for in the USA. Not only that, and most importantly when it relates to performance, they've been one of the most profitable airlines in the world since the early 1970s. Now, that's been decades now that they've been able to be profitable, including the year 2001. So as a result of this, it's important to recognise that a company like Southwest Airlines, who explicitly use 
servant leadership as a way of measuring the success of and performance of their leaders. And they do that because they know that the servant leadership principles and characteristics of servant leadership that uh, leaders use actually drives results, bottom line for-profit results. And it's, it's, it is important for for-profit organisations, again, to recognise that servant leadership actually helps drive results. Yeah, okay, because there seem to be a lot of management ideas and business ideas that we had 30 or 40 years ago, or maybe even slightly more recently, that have fallen by the wayside because the world has changed so much. And yet you're talking about something which has lasted, and it's it seems to be as relevant now as it ever was. Absolutely, Gihan. And it's a really interesting point that you make there about um, the longevity of certain theories, if you like. I mean, if you just look at engineering, the fundamentals about how we build a building haven't changed for thousands of years, in fact, in terms of you build the foundation, you then build your structure, and then you fill it in around the outside, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yet people don't you know, question those engineering principles because they know they work. But whereas in management, yes, things change, but some principles are so strong and so true, they, they actually outlast the changes that come and go over time. And mm-hmm. servant leadership is certainly proving to be one of those types of principles, if you like, when it comes to effective leadership. Okay, so let's let's look at that in a little bit more detail, Gary, because you said there were some characteristics of servant leadership, and you told me there were earlier that there were 10 of them. So right. let's look at them and uh, how why you think they're relevant now and, and how leaders can use them. Well, one of the reasons why the collection of these 10 characteristics really matters, Gihan, is because of the the level of disengagement by employee, employees in the workplace. And unfortunately, up to 70% of employees in a management level are disengaged, and that's driving higher rates of disengagement. This is according to Gallup, some recent uh, Gallup research um, coming out of the United States of America, which has also been backed up by some recent Australian research um, by Sachs Consulting. And they're saying the same thing, and that is that the level of disengagement by middle management is driving extremely high levels of disengagement of frontline staff, and both of them are driving down performance. And servant leadership, the characteristics of leaders of servant leadership can significantly turn that around and drive performance up. And again, whether you're for for for-profit or not-for-profit, either way, performance matters. So would you like me to share each of the 10 characteristics, Gihan? Yeah, please. Let's go ahead with that, Gary. Okay. So the first one's listening. And... Of course, listening gets mentioned many times over in lots of leadership research, but what what is really meant in servant leadership by listening is listening for understanding. We live in such a fast-paced world that when we're listening, often often we're without even realising it, we're listening for argument. We've got that little voice in our head that's just waiting for the other person to say something that we can shoot down or, or, or fire down. Whereas with servant leadership, when we hear that little voice wanting to shoot down what someone else is saying, it actually raises a flag for us to say, hey, slow down. Maybe I've got this argument coming because I don't fully understand where the other person is coming from. So maybe I need to ask more questions. And as a result of that, servant leaders actually do a lot of work on improving their questioning skills because by improving your questioning skills, you get better as a listener. And a terrific resource for folks out there is a is a, a resource called Leading with Questions by Michael Marquardt Gihan. Um, it's a terrific resource for people if they're interested in learning how to improve their questioning in the context of listening for understanding. And the second one is empathy. It has the same meaning as what it means everywhere, which is really doing everything you can as a leader to truly understand 
where your followers are coming from, what what life is like for them, understanding the issues that they're confronting. And it's not just focusing on the issues that might confront them in the workplace. It's it's the social and economic issues that they might be facing as well and having an understanding of them as a, as a leader. Healing is the third one. Now, one of my heroes is a wonderful uh, woman called Michelle Hunt uh, who founded an organisation called Dream Makers. And Michelle has a quote, Gihan, that says, leadership is a serious meddling in other people's lives. And I love that quote because I believe it's true that Mm -hmm. as leaders, we actually can make decisions that does that do have significant impacts on other people's lives. We can we can promote people. Uh, we can help people develop themselves so that they can get promoted themselves. We can also make decisions that cause people to lose their jobs, and that can have a serious impact on people's lives. And as a result of this, with, with the um, characteristic of healing, organisations do at times make poor decisions, and every leader, myself included, has made poor decisions over time. And sometimes those poor decisions hurt people. So healing, the characteristic of healing is actually recognizing that we need to help people heal sometimes from the wounds that have been caused by the organization themselves and help people to, to move on. And, and you know, as an example, uh, um, one of the organizations that I had the pleasure to work with in the past that was associated with Monash University in the commercial services area, um, as a result of some federal government legislation changes and uh, therefore, about $15 million of revenue was, was no longer going to be available to the organisation. About 400 people had about 12 months' notice, Gihan, that they were going to not have a job anymore and were going to be made redundant or have the opportunity to take a redundancy. Now, a lot of those people loved the organisation that they worked for and they loved the work that they did. And as an organisation, um, we consciously, because of our values and because of servant leadership, made sure that we continued to spend our money in, in, in training and development in ways that would actually help them find another job mm-hmm. and help them heal the wounds of, of having to move away from something that they love. And honestly, Gihan, nearly to a person, they have gone on to, gone on to bigger and better uh, roles, uh, more money, happy, you know, happy lives that they've been able to continue and, and continue to be successful. And that's an example of putting healing into action um, at, from an organizational perspective. The fourth one is awareness, and that's just general awareness of what's going on, not just inside your organisation, but clearly and equally outside of your organisation. And I'd say, Gihan, that's probably one of the, the major changes that has occurred over the last five years or so, that, that leaders everywhere have become a lot more tuned in to recognising what's going on outside of their organisation and, mm. and, and have become more outwardly focused, which I think is a terrific thing. The fifth one is persuasion. Now, persuasion as a characteristic is absolutely not coercion. So coercion is when you have a, you do this or else. What persuasion is from a servant leadership perspective is giving people the opportunity to learn about what's really going on and to be transparent and giving them the information that they need themselves so that as employees, they can make informed decisions for themselves. And often when people have the full facts available to them, they make decisions that are consistent with what the organisation is trying to do itself. 
They, they don't they, they don't have to fight or be against each other. It's when organisations hold back information that is vital for people and then they try to coerce them that it actually has an opposite effect and causes people to be disengaged. So it takes some courage to, to do persuasion correctly from a servant leadership perspective, but it also leads to that transparency that a lot of organisations, Gihan, as you would be aware, talk about but don't necessarily do. Uh, and by the way, as a, as a caveat here, it's okay for organisations to tell people that they can't tell people certain things. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and too often I see people talk about transparency, but you can be transparent about what you can't be transparent about, and that's, that's okay. At least everyone knows then. The sixth one, Gihan, is conceptualisation, and that's where folk have the opportunity to work with their leaders and their leaders certainly lead this process of painting the picture of the future that the organisation is striving to achieve that clearly is consistent with the organisation's mission, what it stands for and what it's about, and its values. But it's a clear picture that, that people can connect with. So leaders to have the skills and ability to paint that picture, Gihan, for people of all walks of life, all different types of level that pe- of levels of people that might be reporting to them. And sometimes you have to paint that picture in a different way for different folk, mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and that's an important skill of servant leaders. The next one's foresight, which sounds a little bit like conceptualisation, but it, it's actually quite different. But it does work with conceptualisation, Gihan. And foresight is when, when you look into the future and you know that decisions you make now will impact the future, Foresight is when you make those decisions now and take that action now, even if it might not be popular, because you can see the ripple effect and the ramifications over time of not taking that decision. In fact, Robert K. Greenleaf talked about the ethical failure of foresight is when leaders can see that decisions need to be made today, but because of a lack of courage, they don't make those decisions today and they end up having what they don't want to have in the future. Does that sort of make sense? Mm, it does, yes. And that he, he actually called that an ethical failure and that, that leaders and, and servant leaders absolutely understand that they need to have courage often in those cases to make those big calls. And you know, probably a, a really global example would be um, Nelson Mandela's decision to support the Rugby World Cup in 1995 in South Africa. You know, that's obviously a long time ago now. But when you look at that story behind his courage to do that, given that rugby union at the time was considered a white man's sport, and yet he saw it as an opportunity to create some healing, which we've mentioned before, and and as well as an opportunity to get to have something sim- symbolic and significant to bring South Africa together as one, and it worked. He absolutely was able to create support for that rugby team, even though it was still predominantly white, made up of white players, to actually get the South African whole of community uh, behind it. And it's a really good example of of putting foresight into action. Um, Gihan, the eighth one is stewardship. Now, stewardship is when people recognise that the organisation or the institution that they're leading, or it might even just be that the team that they're leading, um, that really they're just at the helm of the ship for a period of time and at some point in time into the future, some cases that might be decades, other cases it might only be a short period of time, that 
when they hand that ship over to whomever else is to follow them, it will at least be in as good a condition as it was when they inherited that ship in the first place or, or your role as a leader is in the first place. And mm. you know, to, to keep that front of mind that really I'm only here for a part, a part of time. This is not about me. And that's what stewardship really emphasises. My leadership is not about me. It's about those whom I am serving. Which connects to the ninth characteristic, Gihan, of commitment to the growth of people. And Jack Lowe from TD Industries, whom I had the great pleasure to meet many years ago. Now, TD Industries is a construction company based in Fort Worth in Texas, the USA. And Jack Lowe, when I first met him, Gihan, was the CEO of the company. He's now the chairman of the company. They, they turn over about $450 million US, mm-hmm. so fairly significant, 1,500-odd employers. But again, despite their size, this year was named for the 18th year in a row as one of the USA's top 100 employers to work for. And again, they're a for-profit, privately-owned organisation. Now, he absolutely has shared with me the tools that they use, and he's given me permission to, to uh, use these tools myself in my own work, Gihan, the tools that employees use to actually rate their bosses, their managers. Mm -hmm. And those tools are all around this concept of are the employees growing? Are they getting better at what they're doing? Are they um, able to perform their role better? Are they learning what they need to learn? How are they having opportunities um, to to grow and develop? Is the organisation supporting them with the things that they're trying to do for themselves out of work? And I think that's a that's a wonderful thing in the context of, of work and, and life balance because we, we hear this talked about a lot, but here's an organization, a construction organization. So I really ask people to think about what these folk who these folk are that work in this organization. And yet here they've got a tool that they use to, to test all of their managers and all of their leaders are the people that you're serving growing, including how are you supporting them to develop themselves outside of the workplace. It's it's wonderful what they do at TD Industries. The, and the tenth one is building community, Gihan, and, and leaders understanding that that's their role. Their role is to help build community, help people connect with other human beings. And there is copious amounts of research about the importance for humans to have a sense of belonging in what we do and clearly organisations are places where we spend so much time working with other people it's absolutely appropriate that we help people belong and one of the ways to do that is to help people connect to a genuine purpose that the organisation has and helping people connect with that and you know, I've got a good friend at the moment who's working with an international organisation that works in the uh, global health space in terms of medical apparatus, and they're just expanding here in, in, into Australia at the moment. And the team that have been supported by the the, uh, the head office out of Germany, uh, it's just been wonderful to to hear the excitement and the, and because these folk really believe that their products are going to make a huge difference to the Australian community, Gihan, and mm-hmm. and how this this team's grown from three people initially, it's already grown to twenty seven, and they've got plans for it to grow over the next eighteen months to another two hundred and fifty odd people, and they're very conscious of how they're going to maintain community along the way. So again, Gihan, just quickly, we've got listening, empathy, healing, awareness, persuasion conceptualization, foresight, stewardship, commitment to the growth of people and building community as the 10 servant leadership characteristics. 
That's great, Gary. I really appreciate you going through those, even though you had a little bit of time to do that. As I was listening to that, it just struck me that I'm really glad that you used some for-profit examples because I can understand how people can look at a list of 10 things and say, oh, well, they're just soft things and mm. none of them would work in a business. Uh, but what you're saying is that there are businesses that are doing it and, as you say, everything is uh, a great result for all stakeholders, even in a commercial context. That's right. Well, in fact, an Australian example is in a company called WD40. <laughs> I know it well. Yeah, you know WD40. You know it's a it's a little spray can that can do uh, one thousand and one different things. Well, that company explicitly practices servant leadership in what it does here in Australia. And once again, it's a for profit company. And it's it's interesting, Gihan, when I see organisations and the problems that they have. And and over time, as you could imagine, in my work, you know, I've had organisations come and engage with me to to talk about implementing servant leadership in their organisation. And and often the process is quite slow. And the bigger the organization the slower that process is and and what's interesting along the way Gihan is that the very issues that servant leadership would help to resolve in terms of helping to raise the engagement of their people continue to happen but they use those issues as excuses for why we haven't taken action mm-hmm. and pulled the, and literally you know pulled the the the, uh, the starting gun on on getting going forward with in, introducing and implementing servant leadership because Often people say to me, you know, the language of servant leadership, you know, it's an oxymoron and, and, and people will struggle with that and maybe we should change the name. Um, and, I, and I say with them, Gihan, well, maybe that's the very reason why we shouldn't change the name. The very fact that it will cause a reaction means that we'll get a conversation and we can actually put the servant leadership characteristics in, into practice ourselves by having conversations with people about the term itself servant leadership and why or why not that may or may not be appropriate within that organization so yeah let's use it let's have the courage to use it and engage people with it rather than softening it up by calling it something else um and i think that was one of the the very the most clever things that robert k greenleaf did was he was he stuck with the name right from day one and i'm really curious carious because you've done a lot of work applying this in organizations how does an organization just flip itself on its head? Because you're talking about that organization chart and turning it upside down. If there's an organization that has entrenched hierarchies and um, people at the top or the, the more senior people have control and people have grown up with this culture that they're told what to do and they just have to do it and they can't, um, they can't really have much influence at their level. How do you turn that around? Isn't, isn't that a big task? It's absolutely a huge task, and it's certainly not a task that, that happens overnight. Now, the reality is it's not something you – know, it, it, let's say, if, for example, you had 1,500 employees, you'd be looking at a five-year process minimum. Mm, okay. Okay. Now, now, people sometimes struggle with, with, with realities like that when, when, um, you know, because we live in such a fast-paced world. The, the thing is, though – so long as it's done appropriately and starting from the top of the organisation, which I prefer to call the bottom, but mm-hmm. most people would understand it to mm-hmm. be the top, that level of the organisation must be engaged. Otherwise, it just will never work. And that's, that's, a, that's a brutal reality. That's not to say that you can't do it within a department or a unit, but you have to have the realities that a lot of the rest of the organisation with whom you interact, where if it's not changing there, you're still not going to be as, as good as you could be. You'll certainly see improvements but it won't be as good as it could be. Now, there's a terrific example right now, in fact, um, from Popeyes in the United States where uh, the current CEO, Cheryl Bachelder, took over um, just under a decade ago, Gihan, and 
the share price has gone from $12 US to $58 US over the period of time. And it, once again, Cheryl Bachelder deliberately focused on servant leadership as the tool to turn that organization around. Now, its share price effectively turned around from year, started to turn around from year one as a result of the work that she did. Um, now, they're a very large organization uh, in, the, in the, ch- the fried chicken space in the USA. <laughs> now, Cheryl's actually written a book about that journey. So in terms of the, the answer to your question, I really encourage people to, to uh, you know, consider looking up Cheryl Bachelder's uh, book about the turnaround for, for Popeye's. Okay, that's fantastic. And if you let's look at your case study, Gary, we've got that organization of 1,500 employees. Over that five years, how many people do you think are likely to leave? Like, do, do you find that incorporating something like servant leadership throughout an organization just means that some people don't want to stay anymore? And if so, who are those people? Okay, the, the answer is yes. In terms of uh, an average percentage, I can't give you one, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly I know from the experience of TD Industries, which I know quite well, that story, um, uh, Southwest Airlines was different because they started with um, servant leadership literally from day one with Herb Kelleher, who started right. with Southwest right. Airlines. Um, and with um, the Popeye story, they certainly implemented over time, and Cheryl's very very honest about the fact that there was turnover, um, but not forced turnover. And I think that's that's that was true in TD Industries too. It was never forced turnover. What happened was people just worked out, this is not the place for me because it's not how I see the world. And that's okay. And, mm. and both organizations, and, and Jack Lowe was really, really clear um, many years ago with me about this point that that, that they never took the view that those people for whom servant leadership didn't work for were bad people or valueless people. They were just people, literally a square peg in a round hole, and that's not good for those individuals and it's not good for the organisation. And servant leadership organisations are actually quite explicit about the fact that, you know, not everyone's going to fit here and that's okay. Um, and it's okay for us to, to um, share the responsibility about fitting. So what that means is, they, they actually, when they realise that someone doesn't fit, they don't just point the finger and say, that's your fault. Because if we hired you, well, we, we took some responsibility with that as well. So, you know, I'm actually aware, Gihan, because I was personally involved in an organisation that, that that took an employee out of a role because they were actually not the right fit and, mm-hmm. and servant leadership certainly wasn't for them. But the organisation had actually selected them when the organisation was explicit about being um, recruiting from a servant leadership perspective. So it had to share in the responsibility of getting the role selection wrong and took the person out of the role and guaranteed that person a job that they would get it, get paid for six months and that their job with support from the people and cultural culture team within the organisation was to actually get, enough, get their next job, a job that would fit them. Mm-hmm. As it turned out, it only took three months for that person to find that job. But they, they you know, everyone won out of that. The, the, the people immediately in that workplace won because they didn't have to deal with a leader who wasn't the right type of leader for the organisation. The person themselves eventually won because they found the job that was right for them and fitted their view of the world. And and the organisation won because productivity came up immediately because people have said to me, oh, what about the cost of paying for that person for three months? The manager, that is. Well, it was more than covered by the increase in productivity by getting the right person there. Of course. 
Of course, and servant leadership organisations understand how this works, how the dynamics all come together. And and, and again, I know I probably I, I have been emphasising uh, for profit because I think that's where the opportunity sits at the moment. But the same is still true in the not for profit sector, uh, and certainly in government uh, agencies where I do work a lot, Gihan, where. They don't have the for-profit pet pressure, but they have the pressure of performance from the perspective of they've got often limited resources and they have to do a lot with those limited resources. So performance absolutely matters. And if they're wasting um, money and resources as a result of staff being disengaged, then they're not able to serve their community to the level that they otherwise could. And that has an impact for, for everybody. Yeah, this is a fascinating conversation, Gary, and we could go on for ages. And I'm really glad that you shared as much as you did, given that there will be people who want to learn more about this and want yes. to learn how you can how you can help them implement servant leadership at, at whatever level in the organization and to whatever degree. And what, are the, what are the sort of clients you like to work with, Gary, and what sort of, what sort of work do you do with them? Okay. Well, there's three types of clients that I work with. I work with uh, government agencies at federal, state, and local government level, Gihan, mm-hmm. and it is in the space of helping them raise the performance of those agencies, whatever they might be. I work in the um, the corporate space, so examples of that are working with uh, Fairfax Media, as an example, um, and other large organisations like the Program Group, and my work in that space, again, has been enabling them to do exactly the same thing, work with often their, their leaders uh, on a one-on-one level, so I do executive coaching and or as teams, and, mm-hmm. and recently I've just been working with a, with a unit from an organisation of over 110 people where we've been really helping get everyone involved and on the same page about what that unit's trying to achieve for the organisation. And I also do a lot of leadership development work in the university sector. So I do a lot of co-curricular programs about various aspects of leadership, including clearly servant leadership uh, and the skills that come with that uh, in the postgraduate and undergraduate university space. And as it turns out, I do a lot of work for the administration side of universities too, Gihan, and helping them also raise their performance, Mm. their service of students. Okay, and I know you've got a number of websites, Gary, because I've seen a number of the programs that you do, and they're in different places. And if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best place for them to start? The best place, Gihan, would be at orgsthatmatter.com, O-R-G-S-T-H-A-T-M-A-T-T-E-R.com, or through connecting with me, Gary Ryan, Gary with one R, on LinkedIn. They're probably the two best places to connect with me. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing your ideas and your, your wisdom and, and really for compressing what is a really deep and profound concept and idea into something that's really meaningful and easy for us to understand. I really appreciate that, Gary. It's a pleasure, Gihan, and thank you for your time too. If you want even more help with future-proofing your career, your team, and your organization, then join my new webinar series, Future Proof. Every month, I'll share one big idea about what our future holds, things like the, the shift of power to Asia, the changing workplace, healthcare technology, the shift to customer-centric businesses, big data, and more than that. Here's some of the reasons to attend these webinars. So first of all, you'll understand how the Internet's affecting your world, which means that you can take advantage of the opportunities and avoid the risks and the threats. You'll also consistently be getting updates on what has changed so you don't fall 
fall behind. You'll also learn what most of your competitors are not learning, so you get a competitive edge. You get the chance to ask me questions live on the webinar. You tap into my 15 plus years of experience in helping people understand the future. So you're going to learn from real businesses, real organizations, and get real practical, relevant ideas. And finally, there's some really cool stuff happening. So attend the webinar series and I'll show you what's on the horizon for both your personal and your professional life. To find out more, go to seeingintothefuture.com and register for the webinar series there. It's free. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store. And that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, check out my speaking topics at gihanparera.com. And that's where you should go as well if you want to engage with me in other ways. You can find my blog, newsletter, podcast, videos, and my webinar series. And they're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team, and, of course, yourself. This is Kihan Pereira. Bye for now. You've been listening to the iMatter Podcast. To subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit iMatterPodcast.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.